This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Thank you for coming out this morning. Everybody welcome, and I appreciate getting to know all your faces more and more over the time. Koki and I get to stay here. Uh, and I'm glad we are also able to stand in right now as leadership is taking some break and retreat and spiritual rejuvenation. So glad to be here with you. It's a joy. Um, so um, today is a, a topic on merit and it's um, kind of subtle. And I um, want to invite you all to uh, come forward with questions. Anytime you, you have a questions, please raise your your hand and and uh, make yourself known. Uh, let's talk about it. There's some sort of stuff there, but it's really interesting. So first of all, um, I, I want to talk about merit. And as I said uh, in the announcement, that there are many misunderstandings. And I think there are many misunderstandings because it's just a one-to-one -one translation. And some of us who maybe have been raised in the um, Abrahamic traditions are like, very familiar with a Word merit already, and um, and and have maybe just also been growing up in a <clears throat> in the Abrahamic cultures, have a certain understanding of merit being uh, uh, rooted and grown in the kind of um, moralistic soil, like of the dualistic frame of Abrahamic traditions, which is there's good and there's evil, and if you do good, you get good results. And if you do bad, you do good, bad results. And most of them are kind of in the past connected to a God, a creator God who either rewards us or punishes us. So that's kind of like uh, the Abrahamic usage of merit. And, and the, the word has been already like in our culture used in this way. There's um, still kind of the meritorious um, job system that some of us are in where, you know, you're getting, you know, um, based on your a refuse of your job performances, you have a meritorious um, growth in your job or not. So merit is in this way very much linked to uh, behavior, to action behavior, and in a way of being either good or bad, you know, reward or having a reward coming on or, or, um, or not. And so it's hard then to have a conversation about merit. And I could see how um, the Zen interpretation and the Zen conversation, which has been uh, historically already in China, had the function of um, taking a stance, you know, towards kind uh, of visit through in India, going against the whole Brahmanical cultures of purity and impurity. Uh, that's where Zen grew out of this Siddha tradition that already kind of took uh, go, went against this kind of um, rigid, pure and impurity historically there. And then in China, definitely China, uh, Chinese culture is very moralistic themselves, it's Confucianism. And also Zen was kind of liberated there and had a big impact, you know, stepping and challenging ideas of um, morality there. So it would fit nicely and of course in our culture to do the same function but if we mix those two up if we mix up you know our knowledge from the Abrahamic traditions and you know the function and what Zen has been done 
historically and, and its purpose from the Buddhist tradition, then we are like, um, we, we end up in, in some misunderstandings and some opportunities that was just rob us of our um, own personal practice um, opportunities. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it. I feel like there's uh, so much more there with merit. It's not just about being a good boy or girl, you know, it's really, it is some more to, to the conversation. And I just wondered so far, is anybody having any concern about, about this topic or having personal experiences with this topic about merit? Okay. I will just present a little more and maybe questions come up, keep, keep exploring them. So, um, so again, like uh, one of the main misunderstandings can just to like really put Christianity and the whole Abrahamic traditions aside. When merit is being used in the Abrahamic traditions, it's very uh, clearly um, used in relation to, to the creator God that is being the Godhead of that religion. Um, and and this creator God is a jealous God. So this God is either you know uh, deeming one to hell or to heaven based on one's actions. And actions are the our actions are the determining factors of um, in that religion's uh, system. The morality is hyper important and is still very much the conversation in uh, the Abrahamic cultures. Um, morality is not understood in this way in Buddhism. Buddhism has, um, oh yeah, the, the other part of maybe the Abrahamic tradition is still to say that these entities, the Godhead of these religions is always a permanent uh, entity that is truly established. And so we are permanent entities that are truly established. So that's like, these are just these fixtures of these religions which I want to make a distinction of because this, this is not understood in Buddhism at all. And particularly if we pick up the word merit, that's not what, what's being, that's not the context of the merit in Buddhism. So in uh, Buddhism and the way the South Asian traditions have been approaching merit, um, there is a, a very much in vast uh, worldview of past and future lives of karma cause and effect. And karma is um, in this way understood also differently from the other Hindu traditions versus in Buddhism, mostly that, um, that whatever actions we are, you know, perform their ripen consequences. And it's kind of a circular, it's kind of a circular um, involvement. There is no Godhead or anything involved. So um, again, I'm trying to differentiate here between Buddhism and Hinduistic uh, understanding of karma. So in Buddhism, absolutely no Godhead involved. So it's just our actions, whatever we, seeds we sow, these fruits are we ripen. Yeah, just plain basic, you know, if you are um, having, um, you know, acting generously, you know, you feel generous and people respond to you generously. It's just that simple. and and um, it, if it's very pers it's very personal because only you can know there's nobody looking into your mind and judging which thoughts are you know good or bad it, you know what your intentions are it's a very personal process um, so in this way karma whatever uh, mixture of intentions are part of your activity that's the fruit you get so if you um, like in generosity is like the main example of um, because it's such an obvious example, right? It has to do with a certain op openness, you know, being 
generous, generous being, allowing things to happen. So there are various degree, right? You can be very generous monetarily on a material level, but you might have some uh, reservation mentally and emotionally, like you're feeling controlling about what happens with the money you just gave, or you're feeling um, uh, feeling concerned that it um, you just wasted something and you're regretting it. Then it's actually not considered generous because you actually emotionally um, and and with your thinking are retracting your actions. You know, you might outwardly look as a generous person because you just handed a hundred dollars to somebody else, but if you had inwardly some thoughts that were, you know, regretting your actions or you were really concerned about what's going to happen with this money, then your generosity is actually only half. Yeah, you're not fulfilling. I mean, I don't want to put any measurement on it, but it's just not as strong, you know. And then those are fruit of your the fruit of generosity is not as strong within you, you know. Within you, you might not feel really generous. And that's where the Mahayana is just so fascinating because the Mahayana um, really plays with that and really uh, takes uh, that's the kind of different in Buddhism within Buddhism in the different traditions. There is a Theravada um, kind of tradition where it's very much generosity or these meritorious actions are very much hinged to, you know, did you take the precepts or not? Did you complete the precepts or not? It's just very strongly hinged to the whole apparatus of um, body, speech and mind activity. And and just very clearly, did you, did you do it or didn't do it, you know, uh, in, in physically perceivably because that's where the precepts are built on right they're built on you know did you um <laughs> did you have sexual intercourse with this woman or not you know whatever and if you did then you're like expelled from the order so it's just very that simple um it's it's not gonna um uh it's not it, it just wanted to you know provide a container for mind training you know and it that's what the terror traditions definitely are doing providing a strong container for mind training. In the Mahayana, that mind training is uh, very much examined based on one's motivation. They're basically, the Mahayana movement was radical in its time in, in that it was very clearly saying, well, it's great if you're keeping all these rules and all these um, um, orders, but if that's just for yourself, you know, it's not as strong, you know, it, it will give you the fruits of awakening and it's really beautiful, but it's not as, it's, uh, there's something lacking there. And, and I think what's lacking here is, is just an insight or a, um, a validity of um, the complete net of our interconnectedness you know i think the, the mayana enterprise is very strongly motivated by uh, celebrating our interconnected web in which we are living and that we are we are embodying this net to the fullest extent possible and in order to do that um, these qualities of um, that one could call ethical qualities of generosity ethical behavior and so forth patience um, they are cultivated in, in this many um, methods that are, um, uh, that are very creative. Because, for example, one concern one could say, if one is like, you know, just acting generously and is giving lots of money, building a lot of temples, that's very, very generous. But it's a 
the fruits that are coming out of it are very worldly, which means you're just very renowned, you know, your plaque of donorship is being put on many, many temples, and it's a worldly achievement you're having. But, you know, again, is that really liberating your mind? Well, only how would how would anybody know about you? <laughs> you know, it, like there's just so how to reach that mind, how to make it not just like be um merit um b a it's not just like a worldly goal and and b how to really have it effectively be in one's mind and also you can't just have rich people get into that goal because you know it can't just be people with money being achieving a lot of merit and those people who are poor don't so there's just like something odd there so so that's where uh, some of these tools that are like really fascinating um in mahayana is the um, practice of imagination though um, there is um, the opportunity uh, or the invitation very early on to visualize um, quantities and uh, offerings so for example um, you probably heard about you know all the merit that somebody gained if they just gave something very little like a flower or half a mango or you know <laughs> all these stories and um, it's not just like parallel to the Christian story where this poor woman who had nothing else in her life uh, gave these cents in in the temple and, and in Jesus context you know it's not just like the poverty and the inability that made this thing suddenly big like a flower or everybody can pick up a flower on the wayside right so obviously it has nothing to do with one's personal but it has to do with one's mental attitude again that's kind of the shift away from this worldly outside um, oriented activity field to a mind training and a personal mind training that's going to help us on our path path towards awakening so uh, in this way Generosity is a mental attitude. It's an open-heartedness. It's um, it we feel different if we are generous, and it, there's a there's a cause and effect cycle, so that that generosity can be enhanced and um, um, the energy can be harnessed in front of our practice by um, by, for example, you have a flower or you see, just see flowers on the wayside and you wish that all the Buddhas would rejoice in these flowers, you know, or, you know, if you don't want to just talk religiously, just like anybody would just find, see these flowers, you know, and nowadays it's very simple to wish that because if you see so many people walk on, buy this, a beautiful flower, beautiful sight, looking at the screen, that wish comes very naturally to be like, hey, I really wish somebody else would see these flowers because they're really beautiful and they're right here. And they're really, so, so it's kind of like a wish of wishing, wanting, of enhancing, of wanting um, something beautiful to be shared with others. And that could be anything. That could be a meal you're enjoying, um, a conversation you're having, you know, just, keep do, having generating this wish oh i wish other people would you know experience this i really wish other people had part of this you know um experience and would enjoy it and rejoice in it so much as i do it's kind of like extending your own generosity that's one step and then if you really can extend it to awakening that's bringing in another um um 
horse, so to, so to speak, in front of your the traction that is being generated here. So I'm not sure if it's, if it's clear in my explanation that these activities, it's, which is a mental, private, personal activity of extending, you know, the beauty that you're experiencing towards other beings and then towards awakening, that's that's like an extension of um, love, ultimately, <laughs> yeah, of love, of of beauty, of um, generosity, of an open heartedness that one is experiencing in um, this in ethical uh, or um, or, or um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it is it is just maybe an underlying thing of my explanation that. Now, if you're doing something that's harming another, it's we don't feel good. And if we do something that's like really beautiful and beneficial, and we, we are like kind of letting go of ourselves, it feels good. It like so anyhow, here I would love to hear your your statements because I'm proposing something that you maybe need to verify in your own experience. I don't just take it from me. Do you feel a difference within yourself if you're that's my proposition. Uh, proposition. If you are acting in some um, generous way or in, in some um, a way that where you're letting go of yourself a little bit, or not, that like well, how is that in your experience? Anybody want to share? Yeah, sharing. So um, thank you for this uh, discussion about merit. But um, let's see when I. Uh, like uh, grow stuff in my garden or I'm, I love to bird and I get really excited when I see birds and I want to, um, whoever I'm with, I want for them to feel what I feel, but sometimes it's like they blow it off. And then I feel very like, maybe that was extra. Like I'm trying to make them feel, and you, you can't make another person get excited and so maybe just my role of being excited, they'll notice instead of me like kind of pushing it on them. Maybe you could. Generally- yeah. yeah, no, I understand. I uh, I'm get very enthusiastic too. And then I, I can be overbearing to other people if I'm trying to, you know, extend my enthusiasm to them. And, and I feel like, um, it is maybe extra of trying to really make sure they do feel like that, but it's always refreshing if I hear somebody else share their experience with me. You know, if they tell me, wow, I'm really that bird or that flower that just touches my heart, it's an intimate moment because this person is really sharing how their experience is like, and, and it's very precious, you know, it is precious. Yeah. Yeah, and how much more if that experience is um, an experience of non-duality, you know? I mean, sometimes we actually don't even know what it is that a flower or a bird really touches our mind and our heart. And and yet, if you really look at it, if we look at all our experiences by listening to the Dharma teachings, we can actually see that there are maybe, particularly I'm talking to a whole bunch of seasoned practitioners here, there is or there are some cracks in our um, uh, self-serving uh, foundations that you know our our, um, our way of seeing the world. That actually these moments are kind of like maybe some glittering of our 
in hand knowing that we are not separate from the bird or the flower and and how joyful that is yeah there is um um i think if we walk around in the Stama enterprise constantly making a um a um a judgment what is Dharma and what is not Dharma, we are falling in um into um some kind of uh, chains and or or imprisonments where we um uh, uh maybe not a, not allowing very simple moments to be actually really really powerful um and that's that's maybe the particular the uh the message within Zen, Zen Buddhism, um, where they really are pointing towards, you know, <laughs> um, you know, the, the pine tree in the garden, you know, how why would you want any more, you know, to the explanation to the Dharmakaya than that, you know? So they are very strongly uh, emphasizing the um the here and nowness as a revelation of the pure lands or you know as a utterly completion of all um all that we are searching for and um in this way i feel um we are we are well at home to like allowing um, um to see not that i'm saying that each time you're touched by a flower we are immediately like have realized the dharmakaya but it might be a tickling of something and allowing and following that, allowing those more and more and letting them to be shared with other people, I think will contribute to, to an inner growth that might be very rewarding. Yeah, Rich? Um, I would like to say about Sherry's work that um, when she says, I don't know how to share this sort of uh, enthusiasm, I would say she has impacted me in terms of her practice, her garden practice has impacted my interest in flowers, right? And I know that other practitioners have, through their generosity, have impacted me, like um, uh, Mark Bukowski, for example, and others who are just, through their generosity of her practice, are showing up and doing the practice. And this sort of effort has, uh, I don't know how to say it, has just sort of penetrated my awareness enough to where I'm like, okay, I want to do that too. I appreciate what they're doing. And they're not, they're not doing it because they want to get a lot of attention necessarily. They're not doing it because they want to get praised or uh, financially rewarded, but they're doing it because they, there's something there for them and it's, it's emanating outward. And I mean, I feel like, um, you know, Sherry just keeps coming every Sunday and I like that. I really appreciate that. And I've told her that I think that's wonderful. Um, and that has been sort of a model for me of just like, just keep doing the thing, just keep doing the practice, you know? And, um, so I think it has a, the, the merit of it sort of extends outward mm -hmm. to other people if you're looking for it. So that's all I wanted to say about that. Thanks for saying, Rich. That's really helpful. Here you are. I think it's, we're in action here <laughs> about celebrating our interconnectedness and how much we are like influencing each other and how much our joy and our our practice is in, uh, influencing each other yeah i mean that's the benefit of sangha and, and and that's the beauty of you know sticking together and and practicing together absolutely thank you thanks for sharing so um i still uh, really just want to um get across some points here and and um 
maybe the next step would be since most of you probably know the story about Bodhidharma, right? And very much um, um, it's part of the Shusa ceremony, it was part of my Shusa ceremony. And it has been recited many times. And Bodhidharma comes to China, meets the emperor. The emperor asks him, how much merit did he generate with building all these temples? And Bodhidharma says, no merit. And, um, and then said, um, you know, what's the holy truth? And that there's nothing holy. And then who are you? And he's basically saying, I don't know. <laughs> and the emperor was really baffled. And Bodhidharma went to the north and said, against the wall for nine years <laughs> so that kind of story you have in Zen and um, and I think many people and uh, righteously uh, interpret that story as you know if you have any gaining idea in your activities you are not generating any merit and and yes that's exactly that principle of like you know even if you do outward activities um, but your inner mind is not aligned with them uh, you know, generous activities or ethical activities and your inner mind is not aligned with them, then there is not much merit gain because it's all about mind cultivation and this practice path. It's not about some uh, other godhead or some kind of karmic um, force principle we're trying to trick for our benefit <laughs> that would, you know, that we are trying to accomplish here. It's really about uh, are we internally calmer, kinder and more clear? You know, is, are these the results of our actions? Bottom line, you know, are we um, kinder? Are we over the years, over the months of our practice, you know, are we more patient? Are we kinder? Are we more calmer with the chaos in which we all live in? You know, are we more clear um, about our present moment experience, about uh, what Dharma, the role of Dharma uh, has in our life? You know, are these, these are things that we can really point at and in fact i did hear tignatan say once um if you don't feel any improvement spiritually at a particular practice base you have to go to another one and it's a very traditional sense thing yeah you hear about all these monks going from one temple to the other because they're driven of wanting an internal um question or internal um a search for liberation they want that to be addressed and they're not satisfied with wanting um wanting just some outer, you know, improvement of like, you made it to be the abbot of this temple and therefore you're saved. It's not working that way. You know, it's not merit. It's not, that's not the kind of merit that Buddhist practitioners seek for because it's about this inner reward of, am I really touched by the Dharma? Do I really know what this Dharma um, means for my life? And I, it, and I see it unfolding in every one of my actions throughout the day. Yeah, there is a certain um, ease within our heart that that um, that that uh, would um, help us and and guide us on in our practice path. And again, that's where um, we don't. Uh, the invitation is, and where Mahayana Buddhism very strongly um, is not. It's not about um, some external presentation. We can do that while we are sitting. We can do it while we go through the day. Um, the key here is motivation. Motivation, however action we do, um, we, we want to do it with a, with a motivation of the mind of awakening. We want to do it with a motivation of wanting to benefit others. You want to do it with a motivation of wanting to understand the Dharma, um, the Dharma teachings deep, more deeply.
So it's in this way that uh, that that will generate merit. That will contribute to a to a um, attraction and in attraction that will guide us. In fact, if you find yourself reading a Dharma text and you feel like you do not understand what this text is telling you, um, the instructions are: do more frustrations, do more sitting, do offer some incense, yeah, do some so-called meritorious activities, which are. Um, opening yourself to the Buddhas, to the ancestors, to awakening in a quest, in a quest for wanting to understand this text. Don't just be like, oh, I don't understand this text. Too bad. I'm reading something else. You know, <laughs> it's just like there is nothing gained there. You're not going to understand this text better by just assuming, you, you know, um, this is it. You know, this text is just hard to be understand. No, there's a relationship here. The Dharma wants a relationship. It's a mutual um it's a it's mutual um, conversation, um, and and same with dharma classes or or uh, dharma talks. So it's a mutual relationship. It's the dharma comes out Buddha and a Buddha. It comes out in conversation. It comes out uh, together, and that's where you know it becomes clear. So that's why I'm taking a pause. Is there any more question or any more uh, um, concern that's coming up for you in this conversation? Yeah, there you go. Who wants to go first? <laughs> uh, I have a quick one, so maybe I'll just ask. Um, I was just wondering about um, the relationship between uh, merit and the precepts. That's a good one. <laughs> it's not that quick. Um, so the precepts, I find they are uh, very much a container we are putting ourselves in. Um, it's it's very helpful to um, uh, to know for yourself first of all whatever difficult situation you're coming in you will not kill <laughs> like you're gonna stay out of that trouble you're gonna closing the door which also could mean that you know if you're in a head-on conversation uh, or confrontation if you don't kill it might just be that you're gonna be killed but that's something that we want to kind of get worked in work, working with there's many sense stories right where um the teacher has been confronted you know you know that i can kill you and and the person saying yeah do you know i can be killed i really knowing i can be killed it's like one vulnerability to be in touch with which it can be very hard to do but there's also the other story if you can escape it escape it you know there's no need of having to become a sacrifice you know, for other people. So, but it's a commitment to not wanting to kill. Um, of course, the Buddha's teaching, painting a really big picture, are also saying, well, on the spiritual development of learning emptiness more and more, it doesn't mean you're not ever not going to kill. It might be that you might be killing because you know it's all a dream and there's nothing to be lost here. But we, since we are not on uh, this level and this is medicine that's too strong for us, putting that aside and that's just our time being of vulnerability for us so far but it is telling us it's not just like it um we're not condemned <laughs> you know you're not condemned to a certain state but we are protected um, by the fact that we just do not want to kill and also what killing means here is um you really want to kill 
karmically there is like many many uh, steps have to be part of for an action to have um the karmic result negative results for particular for killing for example um it's always a very helpful thing because we inadvertently for example you know garden and you you are killing some insects but you didn't set out i want to kill these insects today <laughs> it wasn't your intention and so there's your things it has to be one's intention one has to follow through with the act the other being has to be really killed by you not just like escaped it or only half killed and you really rejoice in having done it and these three these things these kind of activities have to come together for it to be um, a really negative effect but uh, so in this way, precepts uh, are already like breaking through that kind of um, negativity and possibility of negative act by uh, you vowing publicly, I don't want to kill. So if we happen to see you <laughs> killing somebody, then we were like reminding you, you said you didn't want to, what happened? And then you can explain and you can, we can talk about it and it's a conversation. Yeah. So it's, it's in this way, there is... Um, uh, the precepts are like an incredible helpful road uh, container or or yeah container road guide rail is kind of a railing <laughs> and it's also helpful for community because then you know oh i'm hanging out with people who all vowed not to kill it's just so relieving you know they about they've all vowed not to lie to me you know so whatever they said that's gonna be what it is because they vowed not to lie to me it it having a community like that it can be really really helpful for each one of us to like stand up for that and say yes this i want to just like these islands of sanity that we really need in our culture right now right where, where we really like are committed people together who are you know saying i do not uh, want to you know uh, act in any of these behaviors that are harming others I, i'm here to commit and not to harm so that's that's what these precepts are about yeah <laughs> Uh, hi, Shoho. My name is Dave. Hi. And um, I need to change my name so it says Dave, not Deep. Yeah, it's always hard to pronounce. I need to do that soon. I, I've been meaning to do that for the last uh, two and a half years. Uh, <laughs> um, at the beginning of your talk, you're talking about karma and within the context of merit. And I would just say that the relationship between karma and merit alone is a something that's just making my mind just explode a little bit in with all of the potential and the <laughs> uh, kind of possibilities and the interactions of karma and merit it's just very interesting to me and um, seems worthy of further conversation but with the idea that um, in as, as I think you mentioned in the Mahayana tradition um, intention is factored into karma. Um, and it just reminds me how um, that seems to connect directly to the idea of if you have a gaining idea in your actions, then that has an impact on the merit. Um, so anyways, I just wanted to mention, I'm fascinated about this idea of the connection between karma and merit. And um, I, I often think about karma that I generate um, and um, I don't often think about merit 
Um, you do or you don't? I don't. Uh, I don't. Well, well, it's interesting. So first of all, I feel like that's still very much what Karen was asked. And, and I, I'm not sure I 100% answered it. So I will um, answer it here and I'll try to answer it here. In particular, with karma again, you said you think a lot about karma. And I would kind of want to question that right away because only the Buddhas really know how karma unfolds and how karma goes. There are elements involved there that are just so subtle in particular because karma includes our thinking and our thoughts. So uh, so it can get really subtle. And sometimes, you know, looking in my own mind, there's part of me wants to do this and part of me wants to do that. And then like it can get really confusing. So it's hard to think about karma because we think only in, you know, right and wrong ways. And that can get, uh, can be an entrapment while karma is really de by definition outside of it. So, but as of how karma now connects with merit. So merit, again, I would call um, it a kind of a force um, um, that one can tap into, meaning it's a cause and, it, the cause and effect of knowing that every actions we do will come back to us, you know, personally, that it, it will never have to do anything with other people as much as it mostly had to do with us. And... Um, and again, I would like to steer merit really as a motivational, uh, um, and it's kind of more of a motivational um, aspect of our practice that is the one that's generating the merit. While there are certain prescribed activities that are more merit producing than others, it's really about the motivation of how we do these activities. And if it comes to motivation, you know, honestly, when I was in my priest training, I tried so hard to um, lock my motivation into um, into um, what I thought would be um, very uh, conducive to awakening. For example, there is in Avatam Saka Sutra, this is book 11, uh, that you might have seen uh, many of the quotes in the Zen context. For example, the Buddha's robe <laughs> chant, if it comes out of that, um, the, the brushing the teeth in the morning chant is out of that. So there's all these aphorisms, these little um, verses in this book 11 of Avatam Saka Sutra that's talking about when I'm putting on my robe, may all sentient beings put on their robes. You know, if I'm washing my dishes, may all sentient beings become clean of all defilements. You know, if I'm watering my plants, may all beings grow to complete perfect awakening. You know, it's just like this whole book of like example phrases of activities that one can do conjoined with a wish of complete perfect awakening. And I really tried, you know, at, at that time, I was just like, this is it. This is it. taught by Manjushri. It's a straight road to awakening. Just everything I do, I just think those thoughts and I'm going to be in awakening, you know, just, a, you know, it's karma, right? A, B, the result will be C, you know, it has to work. You know, if the book says it, I will do it. Let's try it. And it was torture because I constantly forgot about it. And I constantly like everything which felt like so artificial, you know, because I didn't feel it. You know, it, I want to just walk down the path to get my lunch. Why would I think about other people? You know, it was just like so hard and confusing. So um, that's what I want to offer today for all of us. One thing, and I really uh, see it in so many, many texts now as an, an evidence one has to be in love like awakening has to be 
something we yearn for some like it's kind of a lover it's more of an essential um yearning that we experience it's kind of very similar as of like falling in love it's like if you fall in love you want to see where the other person is and what they're doing and you want to see other see other people see how beautiful this person is that you're in love with there's just a certain kind of um in a in a naturalness to our yearning if you are in love you know and so what are we in love with in buddhism we are in love with awakening we are in love with with um from shakyamuni buddha who like had this was this incredible amazing dude sitting under this tree and having an insight that we are just still traveling 2500 years later of what that could be just being like really in love with this person like wow he like he really had something going on there that really affected other people and it comes across in languages that are just really touching like really fine books fine languages that explain the dharma to you in a just an enthusiastic way that really sparks your enthusiasm and then from that enthusiasm nurture it nurture it nurture it like that's like this little spark of like you know for example shanti deva if you read shanti devas um bodhicharya vatara um bodhisattva way the way of the bodhisattva you can get like uh language there that's utterly like sparking something for example um when he goes you know may i be a bridge for all beings to cross you know need a bridge may i be a boat for souls who yearn for land may i be you know you know it's just it starts something there's something flowing there and letting that inner flowing letting that inner devotional you know devotional um um hard energy you know flame up in oneself that's then the merit produce that's where the merit comes in because your activities will be um joined in a yearn, in a yearning for truth in a yearning for awakening and and naturally there's like a naturalness to to uh these activities because you're just in love there's just a love there for the dharma you know and and one feels it and then i know i most of your minds will be like well sometimes i don't feel it and it's so hard to get it and if i don't have it i don't have it you're here you made it to a saturday dharma talk your state so far there is a certain love here for you you know you made it to, you know this is already happening for you you know it does like I think we so easy to get so down on ourselves of how we don't do things because we are trained to constantly like think of ourselves as being separate from God and whatever the whole Christian thing one thing and then secondly there's like a cultural sense of um low self esteem going on where I feel like we really need to be kind to ourselves more more and more you know um um that love is available to us and if we in one moment feel like we are out of touch with it and we don't feel what buddhism has us to offer then it's just another opportunity to look at a text talk with a friend you know look into the stars and 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 see again where are you coming from that you were interested in it's it's not anything to get down on ourselves for you know not feeling some you know love and enthusiasm but it's something to generate and that's what we are sangha can a uh, sangha can offer to ourselves and that's maybe in what's in the way these talks are all about right come together you know find enthusiasm go off yeah i see the heart thank you <laughs>
That's it, yeah. Anything you want to add or share? Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about this, the ideas of the precepts and, and karma and how in the precepts uh, in our full moon ceremony, for example, it says, uh, I vow not to kill, but to cherish all life. And that mm -hmm. the first part is like the, uh, the don't do that, thou mm -hmm. shalt not kill. Right. But the, the second part is really the positive spin, which is to cherish all life. And it has more to do with, like you're saying, the loving, warm hearted quality. It's really the, the second half that really is like the heart space. Mm -hmm. that, isn't, that, isn't that right? Like where mm -hmm. the. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like uh, in many ways, uh, uh, many of these texts are um, really considered needs to be considered. Um, particular Buddhism is so much about um, uh, which context are we in and who is this, who are these words for? And I could see, for example, like I had one teacher from Sri Lanka um, teach Buddhism once to us in Austria when I was still in Germany. And he was saying, you know, if he goes to, talks to people in Sri Lanka, he is absolutely like, you're going to go to hell if you're not going to do these actions. He's like fire and primstone kind of talk because people in Sri Lanka have a hot climate, are very relaxed. You know, they are not necessarily going sitting all the time. You know, they have other things to do. And so he's really trying to get them to practice because it's just not culturally. They're so relaxed, you know, but in our culture, he feels like relax, you know, you know, don't worry, you know, because we're so already like, let me do, tell me what I need to do, you know, quick, you know, we're just so already like high strung in some way to, um, to wanting to perform a certain kind of morality set or whatever. So there's just like, we need relaxation, we need kindness. And I totally encourage you to find texts that speak to you in that way, you know, and, and that's why I also cheer on Kokyo teaching the Srimalidiva, because I think the Buddha nature teachings are very suited for us. And nowadays, you know, we're, um, where, where things are more complete already. You're already starting off as a completeness. It's already right here. You know, don't try to get somewhere or anything. So yeah, I think there is, we are, we need to like be a little bit clear of when we, when we read things, what, what are the, what's the context on which something is said and not take it as an overall um, message because all these Buddhist teachings are really said for people in particular contexts in particular time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard you. I saw you there. <laughs> Hello. Thank I you like so much. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. I, as you were talking about intention and um, uh, generosity, um, it almost feels as if uh, once in, intention is involved, you, you're into a duality even. I feel like it's almost like once you have no intention it's just rising naturally is really the true generosity because then once you start moving either forward or backwards you fall <laughs> yeah thanks for bringing that up because that's a, an utterly most important thing right here is um the complete merit producing uh and the true merit producing activity is if the um, any activity is like it now example giving is free of the giver the receiver and the gift yeah <laughs> the three wheels bottom line if we are in these, these three wheels of present that's where the choose really flows 
so to speak. That's a, that's a merit-producing um, activity. And and yes, is it the hard? Um, what's hard with that? And I'm really really grateful that we have this, you know, reminder in our meal chant. You know, so if you were in a monastery, you would chant it you know three times a day and we would be reminded of of um it more often um that this is what we're trying to do like like you're saying this um having um having non-duality be part in and um uh, in our um activity very wanted to go with it oh um but it uh, yeah so we don't want to um, add some kind of inner judge to our um, own thinking or our own activity that's now okay was this merit producing or was it not merit producing was i now free of a self <laughs> clinging was i free of self other and object you know or not i mean if you do that and it so there's a certain trust that's being asked for you know a certain kind of um allowance to uh, grow into a self-confidence that um, the awareness that we are is present and, um, and, and, and listen to the teaching of emptiness over and over to see things are like a dream, to, to really uh, lessen our grasp of reification naturally. And, and, and then we um, merit uh, in that context would be, um, really talking about a tool like merit it really is that what it is it's just a tool of practicing it's not um um something we have to um constantly watch out for where if we come into the wisdom um so in order to be more clear i feel like i'm not 100 clear the um there's accumulation of merit and accumulation of wisdom the accumulation of merit are mostly the first five um, parameters, you know, generosity, ethic, patience, in particular, diligence is present with all of them. Um, concentration kind of too, but it also falls more and actually falls more in the concentration of wisdom because, for example, like these first four parameters of generosity, ethics, of us contribute to our being concentrated or not. <laughs> and our concentration helps us with wisdom. So there's this whole wisdom aspect, and that's its own accumulation, meaning when you we do generosity of giving, we can be more or less clear about um, about this being about being wise, about non-duality, about this being free of giver and receiver and gift. So uh, accumulation of wisdom gets its own um, package so to speak it's kind of its own so it to keep it separate in that way maybe helps to to um, just know that merit supports wisdom mostly and for example a sixth ancestor didn't need so much accumulation of merit he was just listening to one sound and it was totally clear to him most of us need the accumulation of merit and um, need to to, to work on that one in order to have the wisdom. Is that kind of addressing kind of what you were saying? I think so. Yeah. It's just something I, I think I have experientially. It's like um, when there's any intention, either good or bad, it feels off. It's just, it's just when it springs naturally is when it feels the most, um, I don't know, true. <laughs> I don't know, or free. <laughs> free, free. Yeah. yeah. And at the same time, because we all, um, 
uh, we are social creatures. <laughs> um, I definitely found in my community, uh, in my Zen training, where I was like, I want to be free. And then there's all these rules. And then there's other people's opinion. And then when I was free, other, somebody else was scared, you know, because I was just free expressing myself and they had a totally different interpretation of what I was just doing. Then my freedom was, first I was like, they're raining on my party. I just felt so free. And they're like telling me, I, I, putting some intention on me that I didn't mean to and whatever. But by bottom of the day, we are only as free as much as our neighbor is free. So <laughs> appropriateness is the beginning and the end of all of Buddhist teachings. And that's where actually it gets fascinating because we get to learn so much. One of the big things we get to learn in Buddhism is skillfulness. You know, like we might be really free, but it might scare other people. So therefore, we need to learn skillfulness and learning to be skillful in order to bring the message across that we just love everybody. Yeah. <laughs> is that helpful? Thank you. I no, yeah. I mean, freedom is a big word in America for sure. And um, and um, it, it's a different freedom, I feel, in, in the religions because the religions are really talking about freedom from suffering, bottom line. You know, it, there's, it's not so much about if... Um, if one can carry around one's gun or not, or if one is able to uh, do an abortion or not, it's really all about, you know, are you internally free from suffering? You know, is anybody around you free from suffering? And, and suffering, most of it is being defined as grasping to a self, having an a, um, idea about oneself. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily about um, like what you're talking about freedom in terms of like how we do in America. Like I, I want to be an individual. I got to be myself and all that stuff. It's more of a feeling of being in the stream than um, than that kind of freedom. Then it's like then an individual freedom. That's I think. Yeah, meaning like a, a stream of feeling connected to. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes connection is, it has to be a little rocky, I think, to yeah. kind of get, like, see all of our parts. I mean, that's why we have Sangha, yes? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Thank you. Thank I'll be you. quiet now. <laughs> you. Yeah, that's why we have Sangha, and that's why we um, also, you know, have the willingness to learn. I feel like um, being willing to make mistakes is, like, a big part of of Sangha life and also of this whole enterprise of finding the dance between our, you know, activities, um, being being helpful or not, or um, being wise or not, being kind or not. I think there's uh, there's uh, there's not as not, nothing is written in stone. It's all coming based on the situation, on the people involved. That's where skillfulness is this beautiful, beautiful. Um, approach of, of Buddhism where, where, it, where Buddha, what did he teach from the beginning and it was, you know, an appropriate response. It was always based on what was appropriate. Yeah. Thank you for coming for this conversation this morning.